Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. It's on my heart to dig into the book of Revelation and just begin to do a series on it. So chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. There's a lot you can say there. But I just want to want to just emphasize this one part here, to show his servant things which must shortly take place. Notice, to show us things to come, to show us what's up ahead. And I believe we're living in the last of the last days. Now, how far into the last days are we? I, I don't know for sure. Are we... Headed for the great tribulation? Are we, are we just about there? Has it begun? I don't believe it's begun. We're close to these things. How close? I don't know. But, but we're close. So it's important for us to understand things that are on the horizon. Things which shortly, must shortly take place. I mean, if it was, you know, a short amount of time... Back in the day of this writing, how short of amount of time is it now before these things begin to unfold before us? That's why I say, you know, we're really not in the last days. We're in the last seconds. We're in the last seconds of things. That word shortly can be translated swiftly or quickly. Things which must swiftly take place or quickly Take place. Whenever I read that, I think of the word suddenly. Suddenly. You know, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, as the disciples were praying in that upper room, that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it came and it filled the whole house where they were praying, where they were sitting. Suddenly he came into that place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, God had been speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit that day of Acts chapter 2 for a long time. He had been speaking about that through the word, we could say, continuously. But then it happened suddenly. And when I see here quickly or swiftly, I just think of that word suddenly. That it's a suddenly. That all of a sudden. The things that God has been talking about, has warning us concerning, will suddenly appear. Will suddenly begin to unfold and unfold very, very quickly. Verse 3, it says, blessed is he who reads and who hears the words of this prophecy and keep those things which which are written in it for the time is near. So notice that there's a special blessing for reading this book of Revelation. There's a special blessing upon this book. He said, blessed is he who reads it and hears 
the words of this prophecy. So are you ready to be blessed? Because we're hearing, we're hearing tonight, not, not just with our physical ears, but with our hearts. We're hearing what the Word of God has to say, and there's a special blessing or an empowering of the Spirit of God in our life, a special grace that is imparted to us when we get in this book. And God emphasizes that again over in Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22 and in verse 18. He says, For I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Wow. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So there again, we see God being very protective of this book, of the prophecies, of the things spoken of here in the book of Revelation. So it is certainly not a book for us to just disregard as something that we cannot understand. No, we are the people of the last days, and God has written a book to us to empower us, to bless us during these times when all these curses are breaking loose on the earth. You and I can be specially blessed. Amen. Blessed during these times. And he's very protective of it, just like he's protective of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of how Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, you can, you can say bad things about me, the Son of Man, and, and, and even the Father, but anyone that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that. There's no, no one gets any slack for that. Showing how protective God is of his Spirit which is, of course, his heart, the very heart of God. So he's very protective of the book of Revelation. I believe he's protective of the entire Bible. I don't think anything should be added to the Bible or anything taken away from the Bible. You know, that's why you have to watch about Bible movies and Bible stories. And I'm very serious about it because people, what they do is to make it more entertaining, they come and they add to the book. They add to the story, and they add all kinds of fiction. They bring all kinds of fictional things into their Bible stories so that it really isn't a Bible story. It's a fictional story. And a lot of Christians, they just eat that up. But no, we need to beware of those kind of things. Because God puts a threat. He puts a threat out there on anyone that would add or take away from this book. So we don't want to be partakers of that. We don't want to be partakers with them. And of course, it is written to us, verse 4. Notice it says, John, he's the writer here. Not the author, but the writer, John. God's the author. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Notice, to who? To the churches. To the churches. So this is written to the churches. This isn't written for those left behind. 
after the rapture. So there's a lot of talk about the rapture and all these people, all the Christians being taken away. Well, if we're all going to be taken away, then we don't need to worry about the book of Revelation. Do we? Why, why do we have to worry about the book? No, this is written to who? The churches. The churches. And, and notice if you jump over to verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother, your brother, I'm talking to the brethren. Talking to the body of Christ, your brother and companion in tribulation. Notice that. He calls us companions in tribulation. What tribulation? Any tribulation. Even the great tribulation. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here, he was heavily persecuted. He was banned to this island. It was like Alcatraz. You know, it was the Alcatraz of that day. And that's where he was, he was banned. And, uh, but out there on the island, he got revelation from God. Praise God. He had experiences with God that you and I would love to have. I mean, he saw the throne of God. He had all kinds of amazing insight into things, saw angels and all kinds of amazing things. While out there in the natural, he was in prison. But notice the next verse, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. What you see. In other words, you're going to see more than just the bars on your, in your prison cell. You're going to see more than just the pitiful conditions that are around you in the natural. You're going to see all kinds of amazing and wonderful things. You and I need to be seeing all kinds of amazing and wonderful things in life as we live our life in the Spirit. As we live life in the Spirit, God's able to reveal things to us. He's able to show us things that He's doing in our midst so that we're not just in the flesh, just seeing what man's doing, just seeing how things are according to the natural. We need to see how things are going in the Spirit. And God will reveal those things to your heart. I'm not talking about seeing things with your physical eyes. I'm talking about seeing things with your spirit. And some of those things are hard to explain or express to people. But you see things and you know things. And it's by the spirit. Has anybody ever seen or known things by the spirit that you really couldn't explain very well in the natural? But you knew it. You, you, you understood it because you could see it. Yes, we all, should have had, we all should be able to say yes to that if we're born again, spiritually alive, and living our life in the Spirit. Living life in the Spirit. You know, you rob yourself of so much when you live your life in the flesh. We don't want to just live our life in the flesh. What a waste. What a waste. What a waste of the born again experience. I mean, we've been born again, made spiritually alive, so we can see the kingdom of God. So we can see the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. So we can see God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. Man, now that our eyes have been open, now we need to keep them open. 
Not go to sleep spiritually. Not walking around slumbering and sleeping with our eyes closed or half open. We need to have our eyes wide open on the things of the Spirit, especially in these last days. It's our protection from the things that are coming upon the earth. We've got to be able to see. We've got to be able to be led by the Spirit of God. We've got to be able to perceive what the Spirit of God is leading us to do. So we don't just run off and react to what we're hearing on the news. Just react to how everybody else is reacting. Everybody else is panicking. My God, we're going to panic. That's not how we're to be. We're to say, Lord, wow, some stuff is going on. How, how would you guide me in this? And a lot of times, he'll already show you ahead of time that what people think is the problem isn't really the problem. He'll have you looking at, at really what is the problem so you can deal with it in prayer. How many people know the Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, rules of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Man, that's where our primary warfare is. It's dealing with demon spirits. Praise God, and I know that we've been getting victories. We've been getting victories in the spirit. And it's affected things in our state. And it's affecting things in our country. And it'll affect things throughout this world. Because we're declaring and we're seeing and we're knowing and we're getting things by the Spirit of God. We are responding to Him, not just reacting to the flesh. It's so tempting to just react to the flesh. Things happen in the flesh and we just react to it. It's tempting to do that. But you got to come back and say, no, 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 no. No, what, what, did, what did God say? What did God say? No, no, no. What am I believing? What am I in faith about? What am I in faith about? What is this, what's the Spirit of God directing me to say and do here? And you got to watch about just reacting to the natural. Just talking according to the natural. Let's continue to speak and do according to the Spirit. We have such supernatural hope and help. Such supernatural hope, such supernatural help to be able to combat anything that comes in these last days. Man, we've been created for such a time as this. Come on, we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God knows what he's doing. We're here, and he's equipping us. He's preparing us. He's getting us ready. We just got to keep ourselves focused on him, drawing near to him, and being aware of him. And really, that is being in the spirit. It's just being conscious of the spirit, being conscious of spiritual things, being conscious of God, being aware of him. And we can get so in the spirit that we're more conscious of him than we are of even natural things. We're conscious of natural things. You know, we're not like unconscious. When it comes to natural things, you know, we're conscious of what's going on in the natural. But we're really conscious of spiritual things and what's really going on behind the scenes. That's how we need to, that's how we need to be. We need to develop this spiritual consciousness. Being aware of spiritual things. This walking in the spirit. Can you say amen? Now again, look here at verse 19. Verse 19. It says, write the things which, number one, you have seen. Number two, and the things which are. And the things which will take place after this. Now here, he gives us a little more insight into the book of Revelation. He lets us know what's in there. That it's not all 
concerning future events. It is about knowing what is going to take place shortly. But what you read isn't just all in the future. Everything that you read is not just future tense. Notice again, he says, write the things which you have seen, past, present, or future. Past, and the things which are present, and the things which will take place after this. Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. So as you go through the book of Revelation, there's some things in there that it's, it's, it's to help us It's to prepare us for the future, but yet it's talking about the past. Or it's talking about the present. The present. And really, you know, really the whole word of God is that way. You need need to understand that. I, I, I mean, God's word is current events. I mean, you can get over there in the Old Testament and talk about something in the past, but man, God shows you how it applies to right now. And God will use something in the past to help you understand about what's coming, to get you ready for what's coming, what's around the corner. So as you get in there, the Word of God is relevant for today. And it'll be relevant tomorrow just as it was yesterday. Because the whole book of Revelation is a testimony of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's, not the, he, he's the same. And he fills eternity. He said, I'm the Alpha. That's the beginning. And the Omega, the end. Well, if he's the beginning and the end, you know he's everything in between. He, he fills eternity. He covers, he covers it all. God's word covers it all. So we need to understand that as we get in the word. There will be some things that have already happened that are not going to happen. That a lot of people think it's saying it's going to happen. But no, that's not going to happen. It already happened. But it's to give us understanding of what's going to happen. Because of what happened. You see what I'm saying? And hopefully you'll understand it more as we, as we go on. Let's move to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Now remember, he said in verse 4 that these things were written to the churches. And he, he lists seven churches. Seven churches. And so chapter 2, he begins to deal directly with each, with each church. And this does not just apply, what we're reading, it does not just apply to these seven churches, but it applies to the churches that are in the world today. There are seven seven different types of churches in the world today. Seven different types of churches. So here in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Now, it would be pretty silly for him to begin to write to an angel. Don't you think? That'd be kind of weird if somebody was writing letters to angels. The word angel here is translated messenger. And so, of course, angels, that's all. Whenever you see the word angels, it's translated messenger. But here, it really should have been 
put in the Bible as messenger. And maybe there's some translations that do do that. Because he's writing to the messenger of the church. So who's, who's the one that brings the message to the church? The, the primary messenger would be the pastor of that church. So there's seven churches, seven messengers, which are talking about seven pastors. The seven different pastors. And so... He gets a word, John gets a word from the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, to deliver to each pastor for them then in turn to deliver that message to their congregations. And so here it is. uh, In verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write. And then it begins to, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But as he talks about the church at Ephesus, he begins to praise them for all their outreaches all the great ministry works that they have going on. And you think, man, this is a hot church, man. They get all kinds of outreaches, all kinds of these things, and Jesus is praising them for it, man. But then verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. Well, who, who's their first love? Was it the ministry? Was ministry their first love? No, 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 they ended up in the ministry because of their love for Jesus. And then Jesus sent them into the ministry to serve him. And like the Lord told me, you know, ministry is just to be an overflow of your relationship, your love affair with God. It's not something that we just, we just do on our own. It's something that overflows out of us as a result of our, our relationship with God. But a lot of people... Because this is written for us. A lot of folks, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches have fallen in love with ministry. They have fallen in love with the work of serving. And now serving is what makes them feel important. It gives them a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And in fact, if they're not serving, they're miserable. And they feel very insecure about themselves. Because their identity is in what they do. But our identity is to be in Jesus and what he did for us and what he's doing in us. We got joy, we got peace because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's before we do anything. So ministry, it's a great blessing but it's not all about ministry. There's some people, they only get in the Bible if, uh, if they're in the ministry, you know, because then they have to come up with a message. So then they study the Bible to get a message for the congregation. How about just get in the Bible to get in the Bible? How about just get in the Bible to eat the Word of God, just do the Word of God? Because I've seen that over the years, you know. There's been people that uh, I'm ministering the Word, and I remember this one lady in particular, she had a prison ministry. And so she'd come, she'd take notes, she'd get up, she goes, she'd come up to me after service, she goes, man, that'll preach, I am going to preach that. And she'd go and preach that, you know. And she'd say that just about every service, ah, man, that'll preach. She was coming, and she was excited about the word she was hearing. Why? Because that'll preach. How about that will be lived by you? How about just... Getting the word to live by it. But you see, people fall in love with ministry 
and that, and that means they fell out of love with the Lord. Their ministry is an idol. So that's why you've got to watch about judging things according to the flesh. Oh, man, look at this church. Man, they're doing all these things. They're doing all these things. They're doing all these things. That's great. That's great. We'll let God judge that. We'll let God judge that. The bottom line is, we love Jesus. And I don't, I don't base where I'm at with God based on my ministry, by our church. I don't, I don't base it on that. I base it on what the Word says. And am I in line with the Word? And what's the Spirit of God saying to me about me? All right? So, so understand, there's that church that's out there. Great outreach. But their love is their church, is their ministry, and it's not the Lord. And the Lord goes on here to tell the church at Ephesus, he says, if you don't get this right, I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. What's that? Your church. So in other words, the Lord's saying, you know what? I think your works are great, but if I don't have your heart, this whole thing's coming down. I will bring judgment upon this church. That's how much the Lord wants us more than he wants our works. Doesn't matter. But Lord, we're getting people saved. Lord, we're doing all these things. Look at all the people that are getting help. Good. What about you? I got to have you. And besides that, the truth of the matter is, if you're not ministering out of your overflow, the overflow of your love relationship with God, then your ministry is tainted and it's giving off a wrong impression about God, no matter how good it looks. No matter how good it looks. If you're off, it's off. And people are going to get the wrong idea about things, even though it looks really, really good. Then he talks about the church at Smyrna. Verse 8, and to the angel, the messenger of the church at Smyrna. And I want to read this. It says, these things says the first and the last, who is dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So here, this church is experiencing heavy persecution. And the Lord did not say, hang on, I'm going to beam you up before it gets really bad. No, he didn't say that. He said, be faithful, even until death. In fact, I'm letting you know, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You're going to suffer some serious things. He said, but it's going to test you. It's going to refine you. And I've got rewards for you. I've got a crown of life waiting for you. You just stay faithful. You just stay with it. Notice the message. Message isn't build bomb shelters, stockpile, get some weapons together. They're coming to get you. No, that's not what he said. He said, they're going to get you. He said, but be faithful to me. Stand tall. Stay in faith. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's this way in America as he was in Asia. You understand? God don't have a different set of rules. He's not a different Jesus in America than he is over in Asia. We can't be afraid of persecution. Can't be afraid of suffering if we're suffering for the word of God's sake. If we're suffering for God, if we're suffering for Jesus, then we have to look at that as a great honor. Like the Apostle Paul said, he said, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that I may be able to return the favor the way he suffered for me. May I be able to suffer for him. The way he showed his love for me. For no greater love is anyone than to lay down his life for his friend. May I be able to show that kind of love back to him. May I have that opportunity. He looked, he looked for the opportunity. Think about that. Can't be afraid to suffer. We have to have a mind to suffer. In fact, it says it over in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Notice that. He says, arm yourselves also with the same mind. What? A mind to suffer. You got to have a mind to to suffer. If you go out into your day with just a mind for pleasure and just a mind for everything to just go great today. You get up and you pray a prayer like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I just thank you that everything goes smooth today. I thank you that there'll be no problems today. Oh, Father, I thank you so much. You just clear my path. You get up out of prayer and you stub your toe. You fall down and bang your elbow. And you get yourself injured. You get yourself hurt. Huh? Then what's going to happen? God! Where were you when this happened to me? Why did you let that happen? And you'll be a whiny baby. And you won't make it to the end. You will not be faithful. That's not faithful right there. Just whining to God like that. That's not being faithful. So you have to be prepared. In the world, you shall have tribulation. But be a good cheer anyway. Why? He's overcome the world. He told the church this morning, he said, I'm the one that was dead, but I rose from the dead. I'm alive now. Praise God. You believe in me? Same thing for you. I know what it's like to be killed. I know what it's like to die. But uh, I overcame, and you'll overcome. You'll overcome your tribulations. You'll overcome your trials. You'll overcome your problems. Just stay with me. See? So we have to have a mind not for pleasure, not, not a, a mind for, you know, Flowery beds of ease. 
You know, where we're just like, uh, who's the guy that sung Tiptoe Through the Tulips? Huh? Tiny Tim. Every man, Tiny Tim. Make sure you get Tiny Tim ready. We want to play that tonight. Because a lot of these people don't know who he is. So just look up Tiny Tim, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. All right? Just to help some people out tonight. We might not get to it, but have them ready. Tiptoe through the tulips. Through the tulips, right? Okay, we're just going through the, going through the tulips of life, you know? <laughs> just, everything's a garden. It's all flowery and it's very nice. No, no, no. It could be hellish. Now, you look at something like that and you say, now, Jesus, 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 wait, before you go, Jesus. Uh, did you just say, don't fear those things you're about to suffer? Uh, the devil's about to throw someone in prison. Uh, Lord, you're here right now. Uh, can we just change this? Can we just, I mean, can you just like get, it, like, get us out of that? Like, does that have to happen? For those on the front lines... Things like that have to happen. If the Lord calls you to the front lines, then you are going to face some nasty demons. You are going to face nasty people full of demons is really what I mean. Because we're always dealing with nasty demons. They're under our feet. They're not a problem. But then there's people that are demon-possessed. You understand what I'm saying? And, And God wants to reach them. And God says, listen, this area is really bad for Christians. There's a lot of wicked people here. I really don't have many Christians here in this city, in this place. But I need, I need some folks to go in there and be the light. And that's not going to be easy. Because, because these people have a free will. They're nasty. They've already said they're going to kill anybody that talks about Jesus. But I need somebody to go in there and be a light to them. And so he sends Smyrna. He sends some believers in there. And they're on the front lines. And they start getting killed. And they're getting tortured. And terrible things are happening to them in the flesh. But he's doing it because he's sending them on a love mission to rescue people. You understand what I'm saying? Now, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And if you go over to the curse of the law, it talks about being a victim of violence, being a victim in life, being oppressed, that your enemies, talking about the curse, your enemies will come out against you, and you'll be scattered in seven different directions. And you'll be defeated, and you'll be in confusion, and all these terrible things will happen. That's all part of the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from that. Christ redeemed us from a mob of people coming and uh, just oppressing us, harassing us, making us victims. No, he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're not just going to sit here and be victims. Thank God. No, thank God for the blessing of the law. He's redeemed us from the curse, but that leaves the blessing. And it says, our enemies will come out against you one way, but they'll flee seven. They'll flee. Instead of us being scattered and, and us fleeing, they're going to flee seven ways. See, I'm standing on those promises. I said, I'm standing on those promises. That's the time that we're in right now. But then there are times and there are places 
where the Spirit of God needs us to go in and give our lives, if necessary, to be able to be a testimony to those in darkness. And there's just times like that that that's needed. That's just needed. And so it's important to know the times and what's expected of you right now. And thank God you and I aren't just victims in life. I'm a Christian, so I just, I just get smacked around, and if somebody comes in and they want to kill me, nothing I can do about it. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. So we need to understand that when it comes to suffering. There's a balance in these things. So that's the church at Smear. Very faithful church, good people. Frontliners laying their lives down for the gospel. Then we come to the church at Pergamos. And Pergamos is also a persecuted church, but they're also promiscuous. Notice, he says in verse 12 to the messenger of the church in Pergamos, these things is he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I've taught on this in the past, but, and we're not going to get into that now, but the location of his throne, why his throne is there. It goes all the way back to Adam in the very beginning, in the garden. And, uh, but that's where Satan's throne is. So, you, so he's letting you know, that's why it's, it's, a, it's a hotbed for persecution. Not a great place for Christians to be where Satan's throne is. See, Satan is in the heavenly places, Right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rules of the darkness, and the spirits holds weight in heavenly places. He isn't down in hell. He's going there. He's going to be locked up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. We know that's coming. But that's not where he is now. He's actually in the heavenly places, and his, his actual throne, he has an actual throne. And it's over in Pergamos. And he says, you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he said, you didn't get discouraged. You didn't, you didn't fall apart when this man Antipas, obviously they, they knew this man, he was a very faithful, but who knows? Maybe he was a minister. Maybe he was a leader in the body of Christ, a beloved man of God. Suddenly he gets killed. And everybody starts panicking and thinking, you know, where's God? Where's God? No, that's not what they did. They remained faithful to Jesus. They kept their eyes on Jesus. No matter what's going on among men, where's your eyes? Is it on man? No, no. No matter how much people help you, you always keep your eyes on Jesus. Because it's really him helping you through them. So if they're no more... He still is. And he's the source of your help. He is your life. Keep your eyes on him. And that's how you won't get discouraged. I mean, I know churches that have totally abandoned healing as something God still does today. Miracles. They abandoned the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, because, you know, the pastor, this happened to the pastor. He got sick with a certain disease, and we were all believing God. We were all quoting Scripture. We know he was in faith, and we were all claiming the promises of God, and then he died. He died. And so we just know that, you know, God just, you know, healing isn't for everybody. That must have been God's will. And so they changed the word 
to fit their experience. Because it was a traumatic experience for them. It was very traumatic. They loved this man. And it hurt. It hurt them so bad in their soul when they lost him. And people know, you and I, no matter how much our soul hurts, we need to live life out of our spirit. And build our lives on the word of God. Not change the word because of a traumatic experience. Can you say amen? Praise God. I'm telling you, God's given us stuff so we make it. Hallelujah. Somebody say, we're going to make it. (laughs) Hallelujah. He's blessing us. He's empowering us. He's putting things in us that we need. So he says, uh, you were faithful. Praise God. You're dealing with all this persecution. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly. And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So notice, here they had the doctrine of Balaam. And Balaam taught Balak, the king of Moab, how to get Israel cursed. He couldn't curse them. So he said, if you can get them to commit sexual immorality and worship idols, he said, then you won't have to curse them. They'll curse themselves. They'll bring judgment on themselves. And so he taught Balak that. And so Balak did. He went and got all the prostitutes and the women of Moab. And they went in there. And they did this. And it worked. They were seduced. And they were cursed and defeated as a result of that. Then the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And what was that? Well, you're not going to find it very easily in the word. But... It uh, basically, what they did was they encouraged compromise. They encouraged compromise uh, among God's people. In other words, it's okay to have one foot in the world while having one foot in God. And so they allowed the world to come into their church, and they were, we could say, a worldly church. And how do you know the world is sexually immoral? How many people know most rock stars, musicians, teach people sexual immorality? Their songs, their videos, they teach people to be sexually immoral. Why? Because they're vessels of the devil to curse your life. And that's the best way to curse your life is get you sexually immoral. And so, you know, you got sexually immoral people in the church. They're worldly. Well, we love each other, you know, and, and uh, you know, they're dating. They're not married. And, and someday we'll get married. In the meantime, party all day, party all night. And they're sexually immoral. And it's amazing how many Christians that I've met that are in sexually immoral relationships and they don't even blush. They think it's perfectly fine. I remember one young lady, she had left her husband. And uh, she ended up meeting up with another guy, and they started living together. 
And, uh, but then she came, she was coming back to God, you know. She came to church, brought him with her, ministered to them, you know. I helped them, uh, you know, with the things of God, was helping them to get their lives on track with the Lord. And it was just amazing, you know. She said, uh, she said, yeah, talking about her boyfriend that she's sleeping with. She said, yeah, she said, uh, we were in bed last night arguing about speaking in tongues. He doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. I'm sitting on. We're in adultery. You're still married, but you're with this man. You're in bed with this man. And we're arguing about speaking in tongues? I don't know. It's just... I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's another. But it's like him to tell it to the pastor. They're they're telling me this. It's like. They're just not not even computing. It's like, you know, because the world is so sexually immoral, it seems normal. But it's not normal to us. I said, it's not normal. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we get our minds renewed to the word of God, the more we recognize what a perverse, evil thing it is and how self-destructive it is. It is self-destructive. Self-destructive. Actually, that young lady, not necessarily for that reason, but she's not alive today. It's a self-destructive life. But here, there are churches like this that are one foot in the world. It's the worldly church. It's the worldly church. And here, it's the church. Jesus said, this is the church. And he commended them for dealing with the persecution and overcoming that. So it's like, in one sense, you see this fire for God. You see this zeal for the Lord. You see this obedience to the word of God. You see all these great characteristics. And then you see that. And you say, I'm confused. Are they Christians? Is that a real church? Is that something else? What is it? Well, it's the church at Pergamos. It's the church. It's God's people. So, so this helps us with that confusion that might come when we see all these strange double standards and things. You know, you see people laying their life down for the Lord and, and, and the same group of people are over here being sexually immoral or, or listening to sexually immoral music or watching sexually immoral movies. You know, if you're a partaker of that, if you watch it, enjoy it, and entertained by it, you're guilty of it. Did you know that? People need to understand that. I'm not, I'm not you know, just, hey, I'm just letting you know. You just, you be, you, you, in God's eyes, you're a partaker. You like that? Yeah, I like that. You're a partaker of it. You condone that? Yeah, you're entertained by that? Yeah, you're a partaker of that. See, the church doesn't seem to get that yet. See, a lot of Christians still want to be Pergamos Christians. You know? They want to be promiscuous but at the same time, they want to be sold out the whole route for Jesus. It's not going to work. That's why he, he warns them. He says, now you can't keep doing this, guys, because if you don't get it right, uh, if you don't repent, verse 16, repent. And by the way, repent is a New Testament word. That didn't go out with the Old Testament. We've got teaching today from the Nicolaitans. Nicolo- This Nicolaitans today, and they'll teach you that repentance is an Old Testament thing. That's not, that's not a New Testament thing, see, because we don't do that today. Because of grace, grace, amazing grace, we don't have to repent anymore. 
Because all our sins, past, present, and future were taken away. So sin, baby, sin, you don't have to worry about it because Jesus took it all on the cross and you're covered. You're good. Sounds like Balaam. Sounds like somebody that's teaching people to be sexually immoral or perverse because of God's grace. It's a lot of that today. It's a lot of that today. Are they the church? Are they believers? Are they Christians? Yeah. But they're not in a good place spiritually. He says, repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What does that look like? I don't know. But I don't want to find out either. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be on the wrong side of that sword. Okay? So thank God for grace, but I'm going to go ahead and live by faith in the grace of God, not live in the flesh concerning the grace of God. All right, verse 18, Thyatira. Do we have time for Thyatira? Thyatira. Now, this is a prophetic church and a little pathetic at the same time. They're they're prophetic, but again, they're immoral. They got this woman in the church. Her name's Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. And she gives prophetesses and prophets a bad name. Not every prophetess is a Jezebel. They're all prophetess. They're all prophets. But she calls herself a prophetess. And again, what does she do? The Bible says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So here again, we have the church. And this is, this is a Holy Ghost church. This is a prophetic church. They believe in prophecy and everything else. So they're prophesying, and they're flowing perhaps in the gifts of the Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, yet they are immoral. And uh, they got a woman in there again that's teaching them that it's okay <clears throat> to listen to and watch and be a part of immoral things. And uh, the church is in trouble for allowing that. Well, we're not doing it. Yeah, but you're allowing, you're allowing her to do that. You can't allow her to do that, see, because she's messing up the congregation. So it's important to deal with those kind of things, you know. And a lot of times, you know, as a leader, you don't want to have to deal with stuff like that. You just kind of, you know, say, Lord, you deal with them. You know, you deal with them. Just, you correct them. You convict them, Lord, you know. But sometimes you have to do something about it. And I've had, I've had several experiences. In fact, I had a prophetess once that came to our church and um, she was doing great. And she was prophetic and she flowed. Uh, she got up on the keyboard. She started helping us out, you know, as we praised and worshiped God. And, you know, this, this, goes, this goes way back. And then her, her daughter got into a car wreck and the one girl died instantly. This one was in critical condition. Anyway, you know, I'm up there in the hospital. Great things are happening. And somewhere, somewhere in this process, she blew a fuse. Something happened. She, something happened. And this thing called pride got in there. Her daughter made a full recovery. Jesus had actually visited her. It was an amazing thing. But then she just like blew a fuse and, and, uh, and just changed on me. It was like overnight. She just changed on me. And so we began to have some trouble with her. And so I sat her down in the office and I was addressing the problem. I wanted to talk to her about it. 
And she looked across at me and she said, you're not submitting. She said, I'm a prophetess and you're not submitting to my authority. I said, well, prophetess is great. I said, let's just be a good Christian right now. Let's just do that. Let's just be a good Christian. That didn't go over good. So the conversation, (laughs) it deteriorated. It deteriorated pretty quickly. And that was it. And she had to leave. She had to leave. It was sad. It was a sad, sad thing to see that happen to somebody. But uh, it wasn't sad to see her leave. But <laughs> here's the thing. You've got the nine gifts of the Spirit. That talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But then, then in Galatians, it talks about the nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Come on, you, you youth can help me. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Praise God. So those are the nine, nine fruits of the Spirit. So thank God for the nine fruits of the Spirit. See, and it's the nine fruits of the Spirit that needs to direct the nine gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. If you have the manifestations of the Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit, you're going to get fruity. And things are going to fall apart pretty quick. So it's very important. Love needs to guide the gifts. The love of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Those things need to guide the gifts. And that's what keeps it on track. And causes it to be edifying and not weird. Can you say amen? Praise God forever. So that's the church at Thyatira. Praise God forever. Uh, so again, you see a couple of churches here dealing with sexual immorality. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up on the churches and head on into some more chapters in the book of Revelation. Thank the Lord. Come on, magnify the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We thank you for the word. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.